I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and our guest today is someone I consider a horticultural legend, a PhD ag economist, market research manager at Ball Seed, hortistician, and trend spotter. His name is Dr. Marvin Miller, and I'm proud to call him a close personal friend. Our topic might be considered a bit controversial, creating drama in the garden by offering smaller inputs like jumbo packs. But by the end of the interview, I hope you, as greenhouse growers, will see the relevance to our current and emerging customer base and how these products can actually open new markets and put more money in your pockets. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four recent news stories lining up to support one key industry topic. Coming out at the top of concerns and challenges in just about every year-end recap from 2017 and look ahead to 2018 is labor, shortages, and plans for investment, and strategies to counteract the shortages. Plan tactics include everything from looking to new labor forces such as refugees to installing high-tech automation and everything in between. This is clearly a major issue facing growers of all sizes. Don't forget immigration reform which we all continue to watch closely. A news item I saw in a Global Floriculture e-newsletter recently highlighted North American labor challenges, specifically related to trucking and a lack of skilled drivers, coupled with increased regulations. These challenges lead to higher freight rates. If you ship products from your farm or greenhouse, I'm sure you've felt it. There is no clear solution in sight, but I've heard about producers in our industry working together to group shipments and secure discounted rates from big shippers like FedEx in an effort to drive down costs for their customers. Maybe there's a way to work with growers in your area to gang up orders and approach trucking companies with more mass. I'll link to the story in the show notes. Second was a story I read specific to labor concerns in Canada. In the past 10 years, the gap in domestic labor supply has doubled from 30,000 to 59,000, with projections to 2025 showing the shortfall as high as 110,000. 29,000 of that gap in labor supply is in our market, greenhouse production. The article I read mentions the lack of labor, but focuses on how to attract and retain good employees. There's no point sitting around worrying about the problem when we should be proactive and institute programs within our businesses to increase the chance of avoiding this crisis. And obviously, this issue is not limited to Canadian businesses. What are the three top needs of today's workers? Interesting work, recognition for doing a good job, and being let in on things that are going on within the company. Now's the time to take a hard look at company culture and reinforce good practices or make changes to retain employees and avoid some of these labor challenges in the near future. Next, Let's talk about another labor issue many of us face every year. Temporary labor and the challenges that go along with this critical part of your team. An article I read recently quoted an East Coast grower stating, Just getting people to show up on time is not good enough when it comes to his seasonal workforce. The number of on-the-job mistakes was at an all-time high, and product quality was suffering, especially during peak season. Part of this grower's solution was investing in automation particularly at the time of sticking, sowing, and transplanting. There are many new systems coming to market addressing these needs, and investing in new technology has paid off because new automation equipment will do these tasks quicker 
and with fewer mistakes than the old way of doing it by hand. If you haven't mechanized tasks like sticking, sewing, and transplanting, it's time to head to industry trade shows, read the trade media, and start searching online, because the technology is out there, and the paybacks have been measured for operations of all sizes. Next on the list for the grower I saw interviewed is getting products shipped more efficiently during peak season. Good luck. Finally, and the fourth chip in our game of Connect 4 is an amazing new piece of technology that has been developed and is beginning to be implemented in leading-edge greenhouses across North America. The Autosticks Transplanter, manufactured by Visser and sold by Ballseed. If you haven't heard about this machine, there's a video link and article link in the show notes. You have to check it out. Basically, it's an automation solution for sticking unrooted cuttings. You receive cuttings preloaded into a plastic strip, and those healthy cuttings can be transplanted quickly and safely via the Autostrix Transplanter, resulting in multiple benefits to you as a grower. I'll quote the following advantages from the experts at Visser. First, Autostrix helps growers get the job done during peak season when millions of cuttings need to get stuck. Second, the strip makes counting cuttings easier meaning you get the number of cuttings you ordered. Workers can immediately see that they've got 34 or 51 cuttings in a strip, which means no more short or overfilled bags. Third, using Autosticks provides growers with optimal plant uniformity. Each plant is being transplanted at the exact same depth, which enhances uniform growth by removing human error. Fourth, once the plants arrive at your greenhouse, each strip can be positioned in a small layer of water. The stem will be in a film of water and the rest of the plant will stay dry. Plants can be stored like this over a specific period of time until you're ready to transplant. And wrapping up Connect 4, tying it all back to the subject of labor, the Autosticks machine removes the challenge of finding and training a workforce to stick the cuttings, alleviating your seasonal staff issues because due to the standardized process, less labor is required. Now, let's create some drama in the garden. my pleasure to welcome Dr. Marvin Miller to STEM. I've known Marvin just about my entire horticultural career. It's got to be more than 15 years since we first met at a Sealy conference at Cornell. Many of you have known him longer than that. Marvin not only has the credentials, a PhD in agricultural economics, but also a keen eye for trends and a history of identifying industry changes early on that open new opportunities for greenhouse growers. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Marvin, Welcome to STEM. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. <laughs> so with so much attention on large format packages like five-inch pots and gallons of annuals, patio pots, impulse annuals, why are we going to discuss smaller inputs like jumbo packs? And just as importantly, how do they create drama in the garden? How did this idea come about? And why have you been talking about it with growers lately? Okay, um, good question. I, I guess let let's start, let's start with statistics. Um, we we have the National Gardening Association statistics that that go back longer than I've been at Ball, uh, so that's more than 34 years. Uh, and the stats in in the recent years have shown that young people and and they def, they define it as 18 to 34. Uh, are now the second most involved demographic after baby boomers in gardening. Uh, so when it comes to gardening, um, 
the young people are involved. And really, that's nothing new. Uh, the, the top demographic are the baby boomers, and the young people have been the second demographic for quite a number of years. What is new is that the young people have now moved in just the last two or three years into the second demographic when it comes to spending money on the garden. These folks now outspend those from 35-year-olds to the 54-year-olds. Uh, and, and this is really exciting to me. So it starts with statistics. When I talk to young people, which I do quite often, I'm, I'm on at least a couple of college campuses every year. I interact with our interns. I interact with the American Horde Scholars. Uh, and, and so I, I do interact with young people quite often. When I, pick, when I talk to them, I pick up on both optimism and opportunity. Uh, young people have certainly gotten their start in gardening through edibles, mostly vegetables and herbs, but occasionally fruits, uh, nut trees, grapes, hops, whatever. And, and the NGA statistics also bear that out. Uh, the edible gardens in these cases are in the ground. And and there are young people getting their hands dirty, getting dirt under their fingernails uh, like generations past. And again, we have stats that support that. Uh, the exciting point for me is that vegetable gardening is anticipatory. You have to wait for the harvest. And it's not instantaneous like we have thought so much of our bedding plant industry had to be. So it, it, it's a different kind of gardening experience that the young people have. And, and that, that is something that, that will build into what I'm going to discuss. Like many generations before them, young people are now crossing the aisles in garden centers and are now consuming flowers as well. We heard that in our travels this last spring uh, from independent garden centers who noticed a lot of young people asking questions about flowers, what will work here or there. And so the, the garden center managers and owners have recognized that the young people are now looking at flowers. And especially if we're in a market with a thriving landscape market, the young people are taking notice of the professionally installed flower beds and they're getting excited. Uh, they're thinking that they can make a personal statement, uh, maybe a statement of self-expression, if you will, if they emulate what they're seeing around hotels, office parks, airports, and even some well-to-do homes. And the gardening that they're aspiring to is not the row of marigolds that that went up the sidewalk or along the driveway of generations past. Uh, their, their concept of, of going back into flower beds is using a mix of plants with various forms, colors, heights, textures, shapes, and, and genera. Uh, it's, it's a flower bed that might change and evolve over the summer if, as different plant materials take, take 
take off. And, and it is truly creating drama in the garden, if you will. Uh, when it comes to the young people, when, when we talk to them, we often hear a sense of frustration about price points. In many garden centers, the, the experience they have with the smallest material, four or four and a half inch annual, begins at $4.99 or $5.99 a pot. And, and they are expressing a stifling of creativity, if you will, because that is deterring them from doing more than just one or two planters around, around the front door. Uh, so I've been in markets where retailers have told me the number one question their people uh, on the floor or in the, in the sales yard get is, do you have this plant in a pack or a flat? And the answer too often is no. So I'm not suggesting we do away with the four or four and a half inch pots, the five inch pots. Uh, we still need those for the customers who are doing their own combo planters. But I am suggesting there may be an opportunity for sales of perhaps a 306 jumbo pack or an 1801 flat, which might include even some vegetative or the higher price seed items uh, that that might end up retailing at a higher price point than that flat of marigolds. So you still have the flat of marigolds. You still have the flat of impatience, if you can have impatience in your market, or petunias. Uh, but but you're looking at, at a, a premium jumbo pack or an 1801 cell uh, that, that would allow you to uh, charge a higher price point if you were including vegetative items. Okay, so it actually, that's starting to make a lot of sense from a gardening and plant consumption point of view. Um, we see a lot of these young uh, consumers um, buying their first homes and looking to fill some of those garden spaces that you were talking about. And there's a lot of talk these days about how to excite the new garden consumers, specifically millennials and these new homeowners. But what about the economics for growers? You know, I, I used to have a boss, uh, Chris Beatty, who said that you don't make money growing plants, you make money selling plants. And unless greenhouse producers are seeing an increase in wholesale dollars and retailers are moving the products out the front door, it's going to be hard to convince the trade to move in this direction. So how about selling these larger inputs to landscape customers as well? Talk a little bit about the economics and how this works for growers. Okay, uh, very important, and, and Chris is right. You, you make money selling plants, uh, and and so what what would that take? And in in my mind, a jumbo 306 plant uh, pack uh, might retail for anywhere from 9.99 to 11.99. Uh, a piece at 9.99. That's roughly a dollar sixty-six, dollar sixty-seven a plant. Uh, at 11.99, that's two bucks a plant. Um, and so that that's sort of the range where where I'm thinking. Depending uh, in some cases on what the four and a half or five inch pot is selling for, you may be able to get a little bit more for that. So those are the price points that I'm thinking about. Uh, Growers, quite ironically, are already producing 1801s for landscapers. They do that all the time. Uh, when I talk to growers, 
they they are doing it custom production uh, by by landscaper request, the varieties, the timing, and everything. So they know exactly what it is. The challenge is we don't offer that same product, that 1801 or anything close to it in size. We don't offer that at retail uh, in most cases. And so when, I, when I've talked to growers, uh, sometimes there's a reluctance to go to this item for retail because they say, I know exactly when the landscaper is coming, but if I put it at retail, I don't know exactly when it, when it might sell. So I'll throw the idea out that maybe you run a landscape special on certain weekends and in, in the season, perhaps it's early. I would suggest to do it periodically through the season, uh, if, if you don't want to have it all the time. But I, I think, I think it is something that the market will will gravitate to especially if you have an active commercial landscaping market and then if they don't sell retail here's an item that you could sell to the landscapers as well uh, so there there is that fallback position but but what with those price points that I'm suggesting um, I think one of the the true realities here is that the plant material in an 1801 or a 306 jumbo has to have some color, but I don't think it needs to have quite the amount of color that we put in a four and a half or five inch pot. Uh, still has some development to go, and and so we can take it off the bench a little sooner than than we would if we were growing four or four and a half inch pots, five inch pots. Uh, the other the other part that that it's important to bring up here is remember that the younger gardener because they started with vegetables they knew about anticipation uh with 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 vegetables you don't get the yield right away you have to wait for it and and in that in that realm I think there are a lot of them who will be willing to allow the plant material to develop in the ground and and they'll be happy to take a smaller input at a lower price point and and deal with that. One more item though. In the 1.8 square feet of a greenhouse bench that a standard flat would occupy at at two dollars per plant if you're able to get that that eleven ninety nine for the three oh six jumbo at two dollars a plant the yield is thirty six dollars for that space if if you're growing four and a half inch pots let's say in that same space and you retail them at five ninety nine a piece most growers will probably put about five plants in that space, 1.8 square feet. And so the potential here is that you might get $36 instead of $30 in that space uh, at, at retail price points. And so the, the opportunity is to make more money. If you can sell it for a little bit less than, than $2 a plant, then you can at least break even. Uh, and the fact that you can take it off the bench sooner would allow you to still net a lot more money in that space. So I, I think it, it's certainly competitive with what the grower ha, has been making in that space, if not rewarding him with a little more money for that. 
Makes a lot of sense. And, and I think there could be also an educational component to helping these new customers achieve success, sort of a what to expect and when. If they're planting these, you know, green or, or you know, slightly in flower plants, it sounds like a, a great opportunity to make a, a video uh, and push it out um, from your retail as well. Right. And and that, that might be an opportunity. I, th I think one of the things that we may want to think about at retail are mannequin plants, uh, something that's more developed. Uh, if you have combos, if you have the five inch, uh, if, if you have fully developed or more developed plants, is it's easy to market these 306 jumbos or 1801 flats alongside those and let people know this will become that and so there's a great opportunity there for education and and be quite honest the the young people and even some not so young people still have a lot of questions about what will work in the garden there's That's for sure yeah so the so the economics are there and then some you mentioned that the the growers might even be able to turn some more money out of that square footage and i have never met a grower or retailer who doesn't want to make more money but all of that said let's talk some tangible actions what would a grower need to change in terms of production or product mix to add a significant product category like jumbo packs of primarily vegetative material to their offering so operationally and also with the varieties they they select can you suggest a few classes to start with and maybe touch on any dangers or risks to moving in this direction? Okay. Uh, great question. Um, for, first of all, I, I think it's, it's a question of swapping out production space. But at, at retail, you also have to make sure you've trained the cashiers to know that this is not the, the flat of marigolds, this is a higher price. So whether whether we talk about uh, instruction or, or marking the 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 eighteen oh ones as a landscape special or somehow labeling them so that, that people know it's a very different product, maybe using a different color plastic. So that so that that's that's part of the thing. And there are no guarantees that it's going to work, uh, that it's going to sell. I've been in, in markets uh, where it has worked well. I've been in markets where it's not worked well. Um, I think one of the keys is if there is a commercial landscape uh, business in the, in the area, I would try it without hesitation. Uh, people are seeing those commercial landscapes again, and, and they're, they're excited about it. They're excited to try something like that. Uh, as far as varieties that we might offer in there, I think New Guinea Impatience or Sun Patience, Bouncing Patience, uh, is, is a slam dunk. I, I think Lantana, whether we talk about Lucky's or Landmark Series, uh, Blumify, you know, Lantana in this configuration uh, would be something that would be great. Coleus, um, you know, the, the market for coleus has changed. The vegetative market certainly has, has added a lot to the commercial landscapers' palette. And I think Redhead, Henna, Campfire, Inferno, the list goes on and on, are all great, great varieties. Uh, I've, I've personally tried some of these in 1801. Uh, I have a grower that grows for me uh, for my own gardening needs, and, and I think they're great. Um, Perilla Megilla is, is something that might fit in there, too. Uh, Endurascape Verbena. 
might be might be an opportunity. Uh, Angelonia might be an opportunity. And and I think think what I would would challenge the grower to do is look and see what the commercial landscapers are using. If if in your market, if you're growing for them, you already know. But if you're not growing for for commercial landscapers, travel around and see some of the installations that they've they've been doing, and, and or talk to them and see what they're using. And in some cases, it, it's 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 a tried and true. It might be salvias, uh, but it might be black and blue uh, salvia, uh, black and bloom, excuse me, or or black and blue, either one. The Mystic Spires uh, salvias. Uh, it might be red salvias. Uh, any any of the red salvias that might be certainly begonias the the large landscape begonias would fit in here uh petunias wave petunias uh color rush petunias might be in here uh some of those are are seed items and then i then i would even experiment a little bit um as as i was thinking about this most recently talking to a customer the the concept of plectranthus came up um dusty miller is a seed item uh, and there there are a couple of uh, seed uh, plectranthus out there like silver shield but but there are also vegetative uh, plectranthus like Nicoletta uh, Mona lavender and and Nico and there could be opportunities for people to, to play with plectranthus in the landscape so those are some ideas um and 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 i would experiment um if there's a way to get customer feedback ahead of time whether whether that's uh, talking to them at a at a uh, trial ground or if you grow any plant material around your garden center uh and talk to them about their likes and dislikes i i would make your list from that as well no, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, one of the things um, you and I have talked about in the past is even even snapdragons making uh, a little little bit of fun in the landscape. Um, since a lot of these new customers probably have kids, and a lot of you know we know kids love snapdragons. Kids love snapdragons, and I think snapdragons snapdragons big and small uh, would work well in, in this kind of configuration as well. And that's a seed item, so that that may help to make even more money. <laughs> So, absolutely, I think we, you know, when you look to, to cost average across uh, many of these um, seed and vegetative items, there's so many opportunities to put in these large packs. Yep. So, do you have any additional thoughts on creating drama? We talk a lot about how a landscape, when you walk up to it, see a botanical garden installation, it, it's very dramatic, and it, and it really inspires um, <laughs> folks to go to the garden center and start buying, you know, start buying these products. Do you have any additional thoughts on creating drama? using these products and formats we've discussed. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I, t I tell you where, where it hit me the first time was when we, in my neighborhood, lost the opportunity to plant impatience while Rana. And when we got impatience downy mildew and I, and I started to think about what, what will I put in that space? And what I what I chose in, in my case was a mixture of coleus, no flowers, uh, hopefully until late, late in the season, coleus and caladiums. 
And and one of the things that really dawned on me when, when I did that was that that bed changed as the summer wore on. We, we had a, a case where different caladium varieties came up at different speeds. And I, I planted a mix, a mixed bed, but with blocks of color uh, of certain caladiums. And, and, and that, that change in how that bed looked from week to week, month to month throughout the summer is, is where I really captured the concept of drama in the garden. And I think as, as people go into this uh, new landscaping for the young that young people are being inspired about, it's not oh they're pretty like they are like they were in the in in the old days. This is making a personal statement, and people people want to show a little bit of their complexity, a little bit of who they are, maybe what their favorite colors are, uh, things like that. And that that's all going into these beds. So we, I think, need to get a little creative in how we answer their questions, uh, talk to them about different heights, talk, talk to them about different textures, talk to them about ways that they can express their their true selves, if if you will, and if we can go to that to that level in in how we answer a question, then I think in fact we will have drama in the garden. And it's exciting that so many different plants can fit that format. So, Marvin, if listeners want to get a hold of you to continue this discussion, if they want to debate it, if they want to talk the economics or through the specifics of their operation. What's the best way? Probably the best way to get a get a hold of me is by email, just because I do travel a lot. M N Miller at ballhort dot com is my email address, and and I spend a lot of time on email in the course of a day. So so I'll be happy to have a conversation if somebody wants to try and call me. Uh, they can call me 630-588-3381 is my direct line, but I'm not always at the desk. So, Excellent. Thanks so much, Marvin. And to our STEM listeners, let's go create drama in the garden. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com b-c-a-l-k-i-n-s at b-a-l-l-h-o-r-t dot com or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode, including a slideshow of beautiful photos from the Gardens at Ball, taken by Dr. Miller. Let's end this episode with a quote that doubles as a challenge. It's from 20th century composer John Cage, who says, I can't understand why people are frightened of new ideas. I'm frightened of the old ones.